Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. I'm Pastor Chris, the lead pastor here at New Life, and for the last two weeks, I've literally been on the other side of the world seeking to fulfill our mission, which is to share the new life of Jesus Christ with the world, one person at a time. And actually, a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning, we saw two people after I got to preach at the church in Phnom Penh come to know the Lord as, as, as their personal Savior and Lord. So that was two people, one person at a time. And uh, last night, I was really sort of out of it for worship. I've been home since Thursday evening, and the jet lag thing with the 12-hour time change is still a little bit there. Mornings are better because right now it's 9 o'clock at night where I was for a couple weeks. And so I'm, you know, I'm good at 9 o'clock at night. But last night it was 6 o'clock in the morning, and I should have been sleeping, but I, I wasn't. I was standing up here. And as we were singing, uh, a thought occurred to me. What if we really believed the words we sang? What if we really believed the words we sang? Because in the first song, it said, if the oceans rage, and actually when we flew into Hong Kong uh, on our way back for the week of uh, Friends Around the Table, we flew into a typhoon. So the oceans were raging. In fact, the next day, we came in on Saturday, and some of the team came in on Sunday, and they came in from Thailand, and when they were flying into Hong Kong, the pilot came on. You don't want to hear the pilot come on and say this. We've lost contact with the control tower. So we're going to be up here for a while. And they were up there for an hour going like this. They said it was like a roller coaster for an hour. I don't know. I love roller coasters, but I'm pretty sure not so much for an hour uh, when, when they don't even have contact with the control tower. But the oceans were raging, and it said we don't have to worry, right? And, and it was interesting because these were two young women. They're in their early 30s. They've been uh, Christians for only about five years of their life. And, and when, when they were sharing this, not once did they say, we were afraid. They said we didn't know if we were going to see Jesus. We didn't know if we were going to land. But, but we knew whatever happened, it was okay. Hmm, that's sort of interesting. I think they believe the words that we sing. And then the next song says, higher than the mountains that we face. And we had people from Nepal, which is pretty much as high as you go. You know, Mount Everest is there. Nepal has, I think I'm right about this, 60 peaks that are higher than 20,000 feet. It's pretty high. Maybe it's less than that, but maybe it's only 30 feet, 30 that are 20,000 feet. But anyway, it's high up in the air. That's mountains, right? Well, about 30 years ago, there were 25,000 Christians in that country. Today, there are 1 million. 1 million. So I think that higher than the mountains that we face, whether they're physical or spiritual or emotional mountains, you know, he's able to take care of it. His love remains. So then the third song that we sang said, I'll stand with hands high, you know, and that's always weird to me whenever we do that and nobody raises their hands. But, okay, you know, but the bottom line is, do we really believe the songs that we say that God is in charge? And as, as I've come back today, and, you know, some of you were here when I came back from Cuba and I was in a bad mood, and I'm in a good mood. Just want you to know I'm in a really good mood. I've never been in a better mood, actually, um, because I am back home, so to speak, because our real home is in heaven, but this is the, the best home that I have while I'm here, and, uh, and so I'm glad to be back home. And then the fourth song that we just sang was the best song if you were just where I was for the last two weeks, because it says, do it again, do it again. The miracles that we saw, our fathers saw, do it again. Well, they're, they're doing it again over there. 
Just so you know, they're casting out demons. They're seeing blind people healed, even dead people coming back to life. And you don't have to believe that because it's happening. You know, and I know, I know pastors here in this community who think that the Holy Spirit isn't working anymore. That, that, that all that stuff was for the first century so that people would believe, and now we don't need it anymore because we have the Bible. And the Bible's really, really good. I mean, it's the word of the living God. It's the, it's the book that we use. It's the book that we base everything we do here at New Life. But if you read the New Testament, you can't help but understand that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, and he didn't go into retirement when James, I mean John, sorry, died. Thank you. Look at that. I hear amen all the time over there in Nome Penn. I haven't heard one here for quite a while. But anyway, the bottom line is, oh, I'm going to get to my sermon eventually. But the point is, over there, whenever the people from all these different countries stood up, well, first of all, when we worshiped together, it it was almost like being in heaven, which actually I felt that way here this morning. Those songs are very powerful songs. And and I believe the words that we sing, and I know many of you do, but, but if we really put them into practice and and we really lived them out every single day, the stuff that's happening over there would be happening over here. But that last song, it said, revival is rising up. And Hubert Chan preached on the second day we were at Friends Around the Table about revival. And he said something. You wouldn't think a pastor from Laos would think of this. But here's what he said. You realize that today is the only day in the history of the world when worldwide revival is possible. It's the only day in the history of the world where worldwide revival is possible because if something happens today in Cambodia, we'll know about it. If something happens today in Nepal, we'll know about it. It'll be on YouTube. When the earthquake happened in Nepal, how long did it take us to find out? Minutes. You see, if the Spirit of God shows up somewhere in the world today, we can know about it today. We don't have to wait for weeks or months. Do you realize how, how blessed I was to go to Cambodia? And, and even though that 15-hour flight didn't seem like a blessing, if I had to take a horse and buggy to California, then get on a boat and go to, you know, Hong Kong, <laughs> I wouldn't be back. I'd be dead before I'd be back. I mean, that's a trip. 15 hours, we got to fly to Hong Kong, you know. It didn't seem like a blessing at the moment, but to get there in that short a time and then to be able to spend a week in Cambodia and travel around the country and see seven orphanages, Southeast Asia Prayer Center, which is the mission uh, organization, we support them financially and prayerfully, and I'm on their board, but we traveled. They have 14 orphanages in Cambodia, and we traveled at seven to seven of them, and we, I got to meet 180 of the children that we support. And, you know, and one of them asked me the first day, that she said, you're so big, are you a human? <laughs> and, I mean, the jet lag and stuff, I wasn't sure if I was. It was a valid question, you know. And, and then, then, that wasn't the worst one. I went to the, the third orphanage. This little boy walks up to me, puts his hand, like, right here. He goes, baby. <laughs> I was like, come on, you know. I mean, I came halfway around the world to see you, kid. Come on. And then he gave me a hug. (laughs) And my baby, I guess. So it was so awesome is the right word to see what God is doing and to see those children who would literally be dead if it wasn't for what you all, some of you support these children, and all of us support SEAPC through our offerings. So to see what God is doing, and some of these children have already grown up. Well, actually, we know two of them, Bunthorn and Saihan, who were with us for nine weeks. That They are a product of that, those orphanages. And, and to see how God is working in the lives of those children, some now adults, 
and, and, and there's, there were, they were hopeless, literally hopeless, and now they're filled with hope. And so if we believe the songs that we sing every week, then that will change our lives. Just that will change our lives. Because number one, we're singing them to the living God of the universe, and he's hearing. And then he gives us his son, he gave us his son, Jesus, who died and rose again and went back to heaven. And he prays for us, it says that in Romans 8. And then he sent his spirit who lives in us who believe. So today, we're starting a new series, and it's called The Time of Your Life. And and as you can tell, probably we're going to talk about time, and we are, but we're going to talk about much more than that. In fact, time management has always been a problem for me. All my adult life, I have had a problem with time management. I've wanted to make the most of my time. I wanted to be productive. I wanted to do everything I could for Jesus. But, but wanting to do something and making a commitment to doing something are not always the same thing. And I mean, I have gone to time management classes. I've read time management books. I've used day timers, day planners, day runners. If it says day in it, I've used it, both on paper and in computer. Nothing seemed to work. And about five years ago, as I was pondering this situation, something occurred to me. My problem isn't time management. It's life management. You see, I I was thinking too small. I was just thinking about my time, about what am I going to do every day. And here's what, I would sit down, you know, in the afternoon or the evening, and I would write this awesome plan of to-do list for the next day. And I would even put A, B, C, and D, you know, the ones that are most important, like the next four and so on, like that. But then I would stay up watching the Pirates lose to the Dodgers until one in the morning. And then if I did that, I couldn't get up at five o'clock, which was when my daytimer started, the day. Or if I did, I was dead tired and I didn't get my to-do list done. And then I felt like a failure again. Has anybody ever felt that way? Okay, so as I was thinking about that, I I thought about something. What if we looked at at life as something that God wants to manage for us and through us? And and he wants to use us, obviously, to, to glorify himself. And he wants us to bring his cause to the world. And if that's true then probably he might already have talked about these things. And I came up with seven principles that are already in the Bible that we're going to talk about during this time of your life series in this season of of the year when we're talking about you are here. And wherever we are in each of these seven things, what we're going to do is we're going to hopefully take one step closer to being where God wants us to be. And that will mean our lives are going to be more powerfully lived for his glory. Now, before we get into that, I want to say one more thing that happened on the trip, and it happened to me yesterday. On the trip, we were in Cambodia. We were in Siem Reap. If you ever heard of that, there's one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, and they call them eight wonders now. It's called Angkor Wat, and it was a Hindu temple that became a Buddhist temple. It's pretty impressive, I'll be, I'll be honest with you, because it was built a really long time ago, and you wonder how in the world did they do it. And, and there are all these carvings and statues, and one, one of the things I found very interesting is all the idols, almost all the idols, have their heads chopped off. Because some rich king from Thailand at one point sent some people over to chop off all the heads and bring them back to Thailand so Thailand would be superior to Cambodia. I don't know how that works. But anyway, a bunch of headless idols made sense to me because they don't have any power. They're they're, they're idols. They're made out of stone, you know. So anyway, as we were there, uh, we went in the afternoon. We had lunch at this place, and it was really actually I had an Aussie burger, which I recommend highly. It has hamburger and egg and beets pineapple and tomato and lettuce don't knock it till you tried it okay so then so we went out walking and prayer walking and we found this lady from New Zealand 
And so we started talking with her, and we found out she was a veterinarian, and she has come to help the poor people of Cambodia to have their cows have a better fertility rate, which is a very big thing in breaking the poverty cycle in Cambodia. So she was about helping people in the rural villages to have their cows um, be more fertile so they would have more cows so they would be not in poverty. It's a good idea. And so Matt Geppert, the, the, the president of Southeast Asia Prayer Center, started engaging, you know, and he said, we're here also to help the people. And she goes, what do you do? And he says, well, I'm a pastor. She goes, oh, so you came here to change the culture and kill the culture of Cambodia. You came here to destroy what these people believe and think. And that's what you do all over the world, you Christians. Now, I will be honest with you. I wanted to tear the lady's lungs out. <laughs> metaphorically speaking. I wanted to just have a conversation with her and engage her intellectually, but I knew there were two reasons why I shouldn't do that. Number one, she was half drunk. No point arguing with a drunk. Number two, could win the argument and lose the opportunity to work with this lady in helping poverty-stricken Cambodians become unpoverty-stricken. So instead of, I just, I stood there literally like this. So I wouldn't say anything. I just couldn't, you know, I knew I was going to, if I said anything, it would be too much. So I didn't say anything. I let Matt talk. And when Matt was done, the lady had agreed that even though we might be, you know, seeking to destroy the culture of every nation on the planet, because we love people and because we're actually trying to help them break the poverty cycle, she might cooperate with us. Sounds good to me. Now, why did I bring that up? Because there are a lot of people out there like that. I actually met one yesterday. Um, I needed a haircut when I came back. I looked like, you know, really scruffy and everything, and I didn't have time to go to, I usually do, the lady from the church here. And so I went over to Sarver, and I went in, and I got my haircut. And this lady said to me, so what have you been doing? So I just got back from Hong Kong. She said, business trip? I said, well, sort of. I'm a pastor, you know, and I was meeting with people from 20 nations, and we were talking about what God's doing. And she goes, well, we all want the same thing, don't we? I said, if we follow Jesus, we do. And there was just like this, silent, dead silent. And uh, so what did I do? Because I knew there wasn't really much point, you know. I mean, there wasn't much point of pursuing that because she has the same philosophy. So I'll wait until maybe another time. And I mean, and, and the fact that I look like I just joined the army after my haircut. Probably not going back there anyway, but probably might. Probably might. Leave a little bit more on ears next time, you know, and maybe engage. But I was pleasant. Gave her a big tip so that she knows that even though I'm a Christian, you know, I might not be a jerk. And, and that's the thing that, that we have to understand, that there are people all over the world who think that we have a desire to destroy the culture of every country in the world with our ideas. And what we really want to do is we want to help people in the entire world to know the one true and living God because he's the only hope of humanity. And his son Jesus and his Holy Spirit have changed every place that, every place that he has gone and people have trusted him genuinely. The, the culture has changed. But you know, there are Africans who are Christians whose culture is not like ours. And the Cambodian Christians definitely aren't like us. So our goal is not to change cultures so much as it is to change hearts. And, and during these seven weeks, and today I'm going to talk about rest, which I thought was a little ironic last night because I was almost needing a bed as I was talking. 
you know, but I'm going to talk about rest, and there's seven things we're going to talk about, and actually, let's put those up on the screen so we can get started into the actual topic of the day, and, and there are rest, prayer, physical care, relationships, study, work, and finances, and, and today, if you just went out of here today, well, what I said already would probably give you an idea of what we believe here at New Life, but if you went out of here, if I didn't say what I just said, and I just started in with my message and talked about rest, you'd go, well, what does this have to do with Jesus? I'll, I'll tell you that at the end, but this, is, this package needs to be you know, uh, unwrapped one week at a time, and you need to be here every week, and even if you don't believe in Jesus, and I know some people might be here today who don't, and we're glad you're here. We really are. But even if you don't believe in Jesus, these seven principles will work for you because the truth of God is the truth of God, whether you believe in God. God's principles will work in your life practically, and your life will be better if you do these things, even if you don't have an ultimate goal to serve Jesus and to share the new life of Jesus Christ with the world one person at a time. So we're going to look at these seven things, and, and as soon as uh, we saw rest first, some of you probably went, rest? Why is that even in the list? Let alone, why is it first? You know, because here at New Life, what do we say? We say that everything begins and ends with prayer. So why isn't prayer first? It's a good question. And here's a good answer. The reason that prayer isn't first is because if we're rest, not rested, we can't really do anything. We need to be rested. And once we're rested, then prayer does, you know, come first and come last and come in the middle and all in between. And after, after prayer, the third, fourth, and fifth items, physical care, and relationships and study, they could have been in any order, but I put physical care third on the list of seven because it's one of the most talked about and least practiced disciplines in American culture. And God cares about it. And then the next thing on the list is work. And some people would say, well, shouldn't work be like really high on the list? No. It really shouldn't be really high on the list because until you get these other first five things in their proper order, your work's always going to be out of order. My work is always going to be out of order. And then the last thing is finances. And why finance is seventh? Well, it could be very high on the list, but we put it seventh because people usually remember best on a list the things that are first and last. And we want you to understand that unless we operate in the financial area the way God wants us to operate, our lives will never feel like we're having the time of our life. It's sort of hard to have the time of your life whenever you're in debt up to past your eyeballs, right? But when we follow God's ways and God's purposes in the financial area, it helps our lives to be more meaningful and purposeful. So let's move to rest. Here's the take-home point. And for those of you who come to New Life all the time, you know that I'm not a big one for gimmicks. I really don't like gimmicks. But every one of these um, take-home points is going to rhyme. <laughs> because as I put together the ones that I'm going to do, I forget it's four or five of these messages out of seven, it seemed like rhymes were the way the take-home point went. And so the take-home point, for those of you who are new, is the one point we want you to go home with and, and for all of us to live out in the week ahead. So here it is. Start with rest to be your best. Would you say that with me? Start with rest to be your best. All right? So why, why is rest first? Well, here's another reason why. Because it's implied to be the first of the seven on the list in the Bible. And, and the reason I say implied, because if you look up the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, and the word Genesis means beginnings, which is why it's first. It talks about the creation of the universe. We are told that rest comes first. So what we're going to do, if you would open up your Bible, if you have one, to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Or your Bible app, or if you don't have one, it'll be up on the screen. I found out last night that my Bible is a different translation than the one I have written here, so and probably on the screen, so I'm going to read from my paper this morning. Here's what it says. 
In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Let's pray. God, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you that you are the God who created the universe and all it contains. We thank you that you gave us a special place in your creation, and that you called us to reign and rule with you. And God, today we thank you for rest. And we pray that as we focus on that topic, that you will show us how we can live our lives in such a way that it will be the time of our life because we're well rested as we live it. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, notice at the end of the first day of creation, verse 5, it says, And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. So evening came before morning. Why? We don't know for sure, but what we do know is Jews to this day count the day to start in the evening. It starts in the evening, and it goes to the next evening. So, for example, if we were talking about Sunday, which this is Sunday, Sunday started last night at sundown, which is an interesting thing because we have a Saturday night worship service, and some people think that's the Sabbath, but it isn't. It's Sunday because Saturday evening to Sunday is Sunday. That's the way they would count it, all right? So anyway, as we think about that... Evening first. And I've thought about this a lot. Why evening first? I have an idea. Maybe because God wanted us to realize that we're not all that. Because if I said to you, when does, he, when does the day start? When does the day start? Midnight. Yeah, people say midnight because that's how we count it, right? Midnight. Well, it starts in the evening, which is really sundown. But anyway, um, actually, and I've had people say, well, the day starts when I get up. It's a reasonable statement, a little self-centered, but it's reasonable, Right? The day starts when I get up. Well, actually, the day doesn't start when we get up unless we get up at 6 in the evening. The day starts in the evening, which means we go to sleep when the day starts. And we sleep through half the day, and then we wake up, and we join God, and he's already been working because God never sleeps. It says in the Psalms that the God of Israel never slumbers and never sleeps. So he's already been at work. So we get to join God in his work when we wake up. Rather than thinking that the world revolves around us, the world revolves, the universe revolves around God. So if you remember my original illustration, what has been my problem? My problem has been that I stay up too late to get up early. If you stay up till 1 in the morning, it's really hard to get up at 5 every day. So if you do the, the, the clock, you know, 7 or 8 hours of sleep, i got to go to bed at 9 or 10, right, if I'm going to get up at 5. So if I'm going to do that and I'm going to be rested, and I'm going to live my life to the glory of God, then I need to, to go to bed earlier if I'm going to get up that early. Now, you could say, wait a minute, I'm a night person. Are you telling me that God doesn't want me to be a night person? I'm not telling you that. It may well be that you're an exception to the norm, because there, God had made a lot of exceptions to norms in all of us. So maybe you are a night person, but you still need rest. You, you can't stay up half the night and then get up at 5 o'clock either. You can't be both a night person and a morning person, right? So you need this, this cycle needs to happen in our lives where we rest, which rest, sleep is part of rest. There's more to rest as we're going to see in a moment here, but sleep is a big part of rest. And then rest has a much bigger connotation in, in the confines of the Bible. So I, in preparing for this message, I looked up some research about sleep deprivation. I had heard that most Americans are sleep deprived. And so I went to this lady. Her name is Dr. Shelby Friedman Harris. She's the director of behavioral sleep medicine at Montefiore 
Medical Center in New York City and also an assistant professor at the Albert Einstein School of Medicine for some insights about sleep deprivation. The number one thing, and there's 10 of them, and we're going to look at about five of them right now, uh, reasons why you could know that you're sleep deprived. Number one, you fall asleep immediately. Now, does anybody here in the room fall asleep immediately when you put your head on the pillow? Do you just go, okay, six of you, eight of you, four people are pointing at this person going like this, 12 of you. So, okay. It says this, according to Dr. Harris, if you fall asleep within five minutes of lying down, you probably have severe sleep deprivation, possibly even a sleep disorder, according to the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. So, I always thought it was a good idea to fall asleep right away. I thought, man, that showed you didn't have any, you know, like you had a clear conscience. That's what my mother said. If you have a clear conscience, you can fall asleep right away. And apparently, you're just dead tired, you can fall asleep right away, too. <laughs> so, anyway, I checked this out when I went to Cambodia. When I went to Cambodia, I was sleep-deprived. By definition, I traveled across 12 time zones. I didn't know what day it was when I got there. And so the first night, guess what happened? I fell asleep as soon as I, my head hit the pillow. Happened the second day. But after a few days of you know, acclimating to the new time zones and without the time pressures I usually have here, I found out that I laid there and I, I would pray for a little while. I'd think about the day. And I would gently drift off to sleep. And then I would wake up in the morning and I'd be rested. It was really a cool experience. So... Second one. Second one is you're more impulsive than usual. Dr. Harris says the prefrontal cortex is greatly affected by sleep deprivation. This area is associated with judgment, impulse control, visual association, and attention. So less sleep leads to poorer judgment and acting impulsively. That's simply a fancy way of saying if you haven't been getting enough sleep, stay away from the refrigerator at 10 o'clock at night. Because then when we talk about physical care. Okay, anyway. It also says you shouldn't go shopping. You shouldn't do anything where there's a potential for impulse when you're sleep deprived. Third thing, says you're relying on cliches. I love this one. Dr. Harris says, if you find yourself throwing around phrases like beggars can't be choosers and better safe than sorry, and you're not currently in retirement, it may be time to take a nap. The frontal lobes associated with speech, constructive thinking, and creativity, and it's greatly impacted by sleep deprivation. Sleep-deprived people find it difficult to do spontaneous speech. They commonly slur their speech, stutter, and speak in a monotone. So, that's another one. Fourth one, you're forgetful. Dr. Harris says if you go out to the mailbox to mail your father's birthday card, and then you get out there and you realize that you've forgotten it for the third time on the kitchen counter, you're probably sleep-deprived. Anybody forget stuff? Last night, I forgot a lot of stuff, and, uh, you know, it's getting better. Okay, it might have something. Oh, we'll talk about that in a different sermon series. Okay, the last one. This is my favorite one of the first five. It says, you're hungrier than usual. Dr. Harris says, when you don't log enough sleep each night, it's harder to stop yourself from downing a bag of chips followed by two scoops of ice cream. Here's why. Because when you don't sleep enough, there's this hormone called leptin, which is, tells you when you're full, and, and it dissipates. There's this other hormone called ghrelin, which tells you to eat, and it increases when you don't sleep enough. So, in other words, your body is telling you, eat more, and it doesn't tell you when you're full. I thought this was awesome because it tells me I don't need to go on a diet, I just need to take a nap. <laughs> Think about that, you'll get it on the way home. Okay, so, everything on this list tells me that my take-home point for today is right. Start with rest to be your best. Now, let's go back to the Bible and see what the Bible says about rest in a more complete way. In Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, On the seventh day God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work, and God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, 
because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think God was tired after he created the universe? No, God doesn't get tired. So why do you have to rest? For us. He rested to give us an example. There are a lot of things. When, I was grow- when, when my kids were growing up, I ate a lot of broccoli. It's not my favorite thing, but I want to set an example for my kids, right? So God rested on the seventh day so he would set an example for us because he knew something about us since he created us. The creator knows everything about the thing he creates, and he knew that the time would come when we would forget to rest. We would think it, we are so important that we don't have time to rest. And so he said, let's take the seventh day, the the final day that I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to rest. And what are we supposed to do on that seventh day? It's holy. It's set apart for God. So on the seventh day or the first day, that's what the church has done. They've taken the seventh day and made it into the first day because that's the day Jesus rose from the dead. And, you know, there are entire denominations that have split over this matter of whether you worship on the Sabbath or you worship on the first day. And Jesus came along, you know, a couple thousand years after this. Well, actually, several thousand years after this one and said, you know, the Sabbath wasn't made so it would be a rigid thing that you had to keep by the law. It was made for you. It was made so you would rest. So the day is not as important as the reality that God established rest. And it was so important to him that when God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, here was the fourth one. It says, remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Remember, it was already holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the seas, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. Now that's a serious command. Not even their animals were supposed to work on the seventh day. Because God wanted people to understand, you cannot work seven days a week, 365 days a year, burn a candle at both ends, and expect to live a life that's the time of your life, that's really even a life. I remember Rick Warren saying one time, the person that burns a candle at both ends isn't as bright as he thinks he is. You know, burning the candle at both ends means you don't rest. And so what God said in the the Ten Commandments, I mean, some people might say, why why is rest so important? Because it's the time we stop and we remember who God is. It's why it's so important for us to gather for corporate worship. You know, it's why in Hebrews chapter 10, we were told not to give up gathering together as some had already started doing 30 years after Jesus went back to heaven. And that all the time we are called to stop the work of our hands and our brains and, and rest which means to reflect on what God has done and what God is doing. God knows that we're frail. Now there's a word that probably you haven't heard used of you recently. You're frail. I'm frail. You say, well, I don't like being called frail. I don't really care that you don't like being called frail. Because you are. So am I. Back in March, on the 19th of March, I found out how frail Nancy and I are. We were just sitting, minding our own business, you know, in our car, and a guy came across 50 miles an hour, smashed into us. We could have seen Jesus that day. That's how frail we are. How about Jung Ho Kong? Last night, Tejada, right? Shortstops. All they were doing was trying to turn a double play, and somebody slides into them, and their leg breaks. That's pretty frail. Some cells start growing in your body that aren't supposed to grow. We call it cancer, and in weeks or months, you can be dead. We're frail. 
And so God wants us to recognize the frailty of our lives and He wants us to stop and reflect on the majesty that He is, on His glory. And so when we attach ourselves in the appropriate way to Him, our lives can be so much more than they ever could be any other way. And rest is the time when we reflect on all of those things. So the Jews worship together on that day of rest. And we need to do the same. And as I looked at Dr. Harris's list, the last six things, or last five things on the list, um, remember that it was an article that I read. So number six says you've read the sentence twice. You've read the sentence twice, which means your attention span is shorter. And what she points out is this is particularly bad if you're driving a car. Have you ever been driving a car and all of a sudden you go like this? And, and you, you just, you know, you almost wrecked. Or maybe you did wreck. People do wreck because they fall asleep when they're driving. The, the next ones are you're clumsy. Now, I know that could be another reason, but besides, some people are just clumsy. But clumsy, you're fighting with your partner, you're zoning out, you conk out at the movies or during a daytime flight or during my message. Because <laughs> you must be really tired if you're falling asleep here today. Right? So sleep deprivation causes all of those things. God created us to live our lives fully. That's why he created us, so that we would have, Jesus called it, an abundant life. And one of the things that Pastor Mark Eppert talked about, he did the devotion on the very first day of our Friends Around the Table where all these people from all these countries gathered, and he read John 10, verse 10. It says this, The thief, that is the devil, comes, but to steal, to kill, and destroy. And then Jesus said, I have come, that you may have life in all of its abundance. And he even used a different word of life for, for life, zoe, instead of bios, which is biological life. You know, it's chronological life, but Zoe is God's life. And Jesus said, the devil is going to try to kill us. He's going to try to steal from us. He's going to try to destroy us because we're frail. And he knows if we die without Jesus, we are condemned to be with him forever. And yet, God, Jesus, came in the flesh so that we could have this abundant life. That we're talking, we talk about it every week here at New Life, but that's what we're talking about in this series called The Time of Your Life. If we were speaking in Greek, we would say the time of your zoe, I guess, and bios, and suke, there are three words for life. But in any case, here we are today, and we've been talking about rest. And it's part of an abundant life, and most people wouldn't even think about that. They would think an abundant life, and everywhere in the world it would be different. But most people think an abundant life means I have a bunch of stuff. And I met all kinds of people over the last two weeks who don't have hardly any stuff. And their life is really abundant. I mean, they wake up in the morning knowing that God is with them. Knowing that if they have a problem, they can turn to the living God of the universe and he will hear their prayers. Knowing that he will guide and direct their steps because they've dedicated their lives to him. And, and so an abundant life may have some material stuff attached to it, or it may not. But the abundant life includes, among other things, it includes rest. Most of us don't start with rest, so we can't be our best. And I'm not, I'm not condemning you if you're one of those, because so am I. You know, I'll do really well for a little bit of time, and then, then one day I just say, well, I think I'm just going to watch a little TV show to unwind before I go to bed, and then the next thing I know, you know, it's 1130. You know, if I get up at 5, do the math, it's not seven or eight hours of sleep. And, and that doesn't hurt me one night. I could do that one night. So can you. And that's the, that's the lie we tell ourselves. It doesn't matter because I only got five hours, four hours. I can, you know, I'll catch up on the weekend. Okay. 
That doesn't seem to be the pattern that we've been reading about here in God's word this morning. The pattern is consistent sleep, evening to morning, evening to morning, and then consistent rest, because work and rest are friends. You see, you work six and you rest one. You work six and you rest one. And that's the pattern that God establishes both in Genesis and in, it's also the pattern that he establishes in Exodus. And Jesus affirmed the idea of rest. He said this whole rigid stuff about what, what, what work is and all that. I'm not so concerned about that. But what Jesus said is we need rest. It was given to us as a gift and blessing from God. Now, the first couple of times I went to Cambodia were very different than this time because the, the, the second time we went to teach pastors and we were in this remote area and at nine o'clock every night they turned the generator off which meant there was no electricity so we went to bed because there were no street lights there were no any lights it was dark we went to bed after three nights of this I woke up at four o'clock in the morning fully rested and so what do you do at four o'clock in the morning when there's no lights and no electricity I just lay there and prayed Prayed for an hour or two, and then I got my little flashlight out and read my Bible. And then I got up when the day time came. And guess what? I was ready for the day. I was rested, and I was renewed spiritually. And you say, well, Chris, this isn't Cambodia. No, it isn't. But I found an interesting thing. All of my lights are attached to switches. <laughs> I can turn every one of them off and make it dark in my house whenever I want to as soon as it gets dark. Right? So, this is not the most profound message I've ever preached. Because all I've been talking about is rest. But here's the thing. If we will go home this week and we will rest every night, it may just be the best week we've ever had. Because most adults in America are sleep deprived. We just proved it. Most adults in America have this thing that we think that if we, you know, if we don't do everything we have to do, what? Well, what we think is the world will fall apart. No, it won't. If we don't do everything we have to do today, it'll be there tomorrow. And like my boss used to tell me when I was a carpenter, and if it isn't, no sense worrying about it today. Now, I know that might seem like an attitude that says, I don't care. I care very much. I care about me and I care about you. Most of all, I care about God. And what God tells us is there's an order to life. Rest and then work. Rest and then work. Rest and then work. So here's this week's commitment. Now, I'm going to tell you, it sounds a little bit like Yoda wrote it. If you know who Yoda is, Star Wars. Okay, he's too big, funny, right? But it's sort of a rhyme, so here's how it goes. I will start with rest first this week, so God's best I may seek. I will start with rest first this week, so God's best I may seek. All right. Now, you all laugh, and you should, because I think it was pretty funny. But anyway... The point is not funny. The point is, if I rest first, I will be able to have God's best in my life. So will you. Now, here's the thing. If you don't know Jesus, how much rest you get will make you a more productive person. And that will be important. But productive at what? To what end? You see, the thing is, I assume every time I stand here that there are people in the room who may not yet know Jesus. And the message is valid for you because if you go home and rest and get enough rest and you take time to reflect and work six and take off one, what's going to happen is your life is going to be better. It's going to be more productive. But if you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord and you do the same thing, it's not just going to be more productive. You won't just make more money. You won't just have better relationships. You won't just be feeling better. 
but you will be contributing to advancing the cause of the kingdom of God in the world. And so if you don't know Jesus right now, I would pray that right now you would simply say, Jesus, I haven't maybe even acknowledged that you exist, but today I am. And I want you to be in charge of my life. I want to acknowledge there is a God and that you have come here to live and die and rise again to pay the penalty for my sins and to have a new life. And if you want to do that right now while we're praying, please do. And for the rest of us who already know, my prayer is very simple for us, that we would simply start with rest this week so God's best we may see. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are, and I do thank you for every person in this room. I thank you, God, that you are the creator of all that exists, and so you know what's best for us, your creatures. God, I pray that you will touch every person in this room and that any who don't know you, that right now they will say yes to Jesus. And for the rest of us, God, I pray that we will simply say yes to your best in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen.